welcome back to another episode of... Explain it slowly. Okay. All right. <laughs> to the point. Okay. So today's topic is uh, something I've asked you before, but I still don't quite understand it. So maybe you can re-educate me. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. If I ever explain something once, I kind of like get it out of my head. Uh-huh. And then I don't remember anymore. I, I like lose more and more yeah. details along the way. It's not very technical, but it's more of something that you seem to have a personal preference or passion for in a way. Uh-oh. So it's just something that I'm like, I still don't understand it. Okay. So the question is, uh, why do you need more than one font? And why more more of like, why would people pay money to have a font made? Okay, so let's start with uh, what is a font, uh, because not everyone might really know uh, what that is. So when you when you learn to like write, you have your own handwriting, right? Yeah. Okay, everyone has basically a unique handwriting. Mm-hmm. Like you can go ahead and say that two people might have a lot of in common, but there are also a lot of differences in how they uh, move their pen and stuff like that. Um, and now that is fine for like writing something once, but when you need to write something many times, uh, ideally you want to print it. Now, back in the day, they didn't have like printers that can connect up to computers. In fact, that was like a very, uh, it's, it's going to be a while before we get to that point in technology. Um, so what they had back then were basically, I think it's called a letterpress, the technical term. Uh, you have uh little blocks of metal mm-hmm. uh and there is the inverse of a letter that's like carved into it yeah um and you roll ink onto the letter uh and then you press paper onto it and you'll have that letter be printed onto the paper now something that's really cool about this is if you arrange all the letters into a page sized document like a paragraph or so of text and you print one page then you have one copy a second copy just get another page and you roll it and you can make as many copies as you want uh, with that arrangement of letters mm-hmm. um, so generally when they were printing books they would say okay we want to print a hundred books so they're going to arrange the letters for one page or one page spread so basically if you ever taken a look at how books are made they have like a binding and it's two pages that are kind of folded and those two pages are not next to each other they're like one from the middle part of the book and one from the end part of the book and they're all kind of like folded together. Um, so they figure all that out. Uh, and then once they have a spread, they just do 100 copies of that. And then take all the letters out, do the letters for another spread, and then do 100 so, copies of that. So do they do one word at a time? Or is it No, like one one whole page. One whole page at a time. That means you need more than one letter yeah, stamp. So, <laughs> yeah, so generally, kind of like Scrabble, you'll have a lot of E's. Okay. Uh, a a few a's and like one q yeah, because yeah it's yeah. not super common it's more than that um yeah but so pretty much you need all the letters enough to fill up an entire page yes okay so uh during this printing process like you will go ahead and print like 100 pages of one spread put those aside then do 100 pages of another spread and once you have all the spreads you can assemble the book you put the, all the pages in order you fold it and you have a book basically um, I'm skipping through details, of course, but uh, that's that's how printing worked. Now, to print, you basically need a bunch of letter forms, and those letter forms represent individual letters, right? It wasn't super practical to have any cursive handwriting 
in terms of letter form because all those letters, they're carved in metal and they don't really work with other letters. Like you put them next to each other, they're distinct things. Um, and that's why we have um, something called a proportional font nowadays uh, where every like E is identical. Whereas when you handwrite, every E is slightly different, right? Mm-hmm. If it comes after an R, if it comes after an L, like the shape of the E is going to look ever so slightly different because your pen started from a different point. So that, wouldn't that just be a matter of like carving each letter by hand versus like creating a machine that will carve that letter E and you just use that same template and carve as many E's as you want. So it's always going to be the same. Yeah, so you can have like three different E's. In fact, what fonts, what they did is they had something called a ligature, uh, which is for common combinations of letters that oftentimes they would fold into each other. Like the the super common one is FL. Like if you have an F and an L, it's super common to have the top of the F lead into the L that follows it. And that makes one character. Mm. So that was something that was done. But as you can imagine, when you need 50 E's to do one spread, you don't want to have 50 different kinds of E's that you need to shuffle around with. Like, oh, is this the E that goes next to an A? Or is this the E that goes next to the L? Yeah. Like, you want something simple. So you have tons of exactly the same for that size. Um, and you're basically good to go to print anything. And that's kind of what, uh, pushed the printing revolution is the ability to do that. Now, at the same time, letters didn't really change as much anymore because now you have a piece of metal and that's not going to change generation after generation. And you don't really want to recarve pieces of metal, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to keep those letters for a very long time. So as soon as printing kind of started, the evolution and shape of letters kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. Now, for handwriting, it continues. Like, we continue to have different styles of handwriting over time. Um, and that's most notably why, like, the letter A that you see printed in a book does not look like the letter A that you learn to write in school. Like, the way that you learn to write it is going to look very different from how it's printed. But as we kind of use technology more and more and we write less and less... Uh, that version that is printed kind of becomes a de facto version. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so a font, like using all this preface, um, a font is basically a, uh, a collection of letters according to one artist's interpretation. Mm -hmm. Now, not everyone agrees how certain letters should look. For instance, a G. So we have the G with the hook. And then you have the super complicated G that looks... Where it's like two two circles, but connected by a squiggly line. Exactly. Like, <laughs> if someone asked you to draw this, you would probably draw it wrong. Because you've only ever looked at it. You've never actually written it out. Mm-hmm. But that was a common way of writing the letter G. Especially once you have, like, cursive handwriting. So, some artists would prefer to use that character uh, to represent um, represent their words on their page. Um, oftentimes books had like a very, uh, graphical first letter to kind of lead the eye and as to where to start reading, because, uh, it's like super obvious nowadays that you have like a page and then it continues on another page. But back then, uh, they kind of did not have a ton of paper. So any blank space would be a point to also write something else. So to lead the eye as to where to start, they had a big, 
a big uh, fancy letter that was like super artistically done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always like different for everything. In fact, they would leave the space when they printed it so that way someone can hand draw it um, afterwards because it often involves color and things like that. So that is another way of writing a letter, right? It doesn't necessarily match everything else. In fact, it's so big, you can use different uh, tricks uh, because writing and putting letters on a page is all about making it readable, right? So if you have super small letters, you want thick lines so that way your eyes can see it. If the lines are super thin, then it's going to be like super faint and hard to see. Whereas if the letter is super large, you want thinner lines because you can already see the letter. Um, you don't want a big blocky letter. It's going to it's gonna look like it's wasting a lot of ink, you know? So there's a lot of different things that happen in that regard. So generally speaking, a lot of people uh, came up and had a lot of different ideas in terms of what letters should look like. And they therefore created different fonts, like different fonts for different uh, uses. Sometimes you want to evoke a lot of emotion. You want to be big and loud and have very thick letter forms, but very thin spaces between them. So, uh, for instance, think of the letter M. You have three vertical um, lines that like make up a capital M. You can go ahead, or four, four vertical lines. Four vertical lines, if it's so, capitalized. So you can go ahead and represent these by big, blocky black marks, and then a super thin line of white that like separates those, and you'll still be able to see it as the letter M if it's big. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? So you can have different fonts that evoke like actual emotion. It feels loud. It feels like they're screaming at you, right? When it's just text on a page, you know? Um, so that's why we end up with different fonts. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I wonder, like, you you would be someone who would be willing to spend money to buy a font. Mm-hmm. And that's the part I don't get. Okay, so <laughs> uh, say, uh, say you grew up with a Windows computer in the early 90s. You may have had a collection of like a dozen or so fonts. Um, all of which were not the best fonts, meaning uh, they were carelessly or quickly uh, put together uh, due to budgetary reasons. Like I'm not saying the artist necessarily uh, was bad, uh, though I think there are some funny stories with Comic Sans where they literally just like drew it and it became a font. Um, so there are some accidents like that, but for the most part, uh, the fonts that were in use um like in the early days of computing were not necessarily the best fonts but everyone kind of standardized on them because if you had a document with a font that someone didn't have you wouldn't be able to see it does that make sense like you you, when you open that pdf it would just say like hey font missing i don't know how to render this right so that was an actual problem um that said uh if you had a mac you had a completely different set of fonts and these fonts were for some reason, way better quality uh, than the ones that were available on Windows. And oftentimes these were fonts that were actually used in print um, for like text on a page uh, rather than text on a screen. So they had different sets of fonts, one for what you see on screens, one for what you would see on like actually printed out. Um, And each of those fonts has different trade-offs. For instance, something that's on a screen back in the day had to deal with big blocky pixels. So you didn't want to have something with super fine details because you wouldn't even see them, first of all. And it would just make a blurry mess uh, when it's rendered to the screen. 
So that's not super useful for computers. And if you were to print them, you would end up with something that looks like super archaic, something that came out of typewriter versus something that was like printed with the top of the line printing technology, right? So that is that is like a trade-off that they had to make back then. Um, and therefore they supplied two different sets of fonts, fonts that looked great when you printed them and fonts that looked great when you looked at a user interface of some sort. Um, it was probably also due like no, to no small fact that uh, Steve Jobs was into uh, calligraphy and typography, like since before he founded Apple. Uh, so he probably pushed for having good looking like text because it's an important that you're looking at text all day. You want to be able to read it and it's important that you're able to read it effectively. Um, so that was something that they pushed for that Microsoft didn't care as much for or took certain shortcuts to get things done quicker. But since everyone had Windows computers, that kind of became the de facto standard mm-hmm. that everyone is used to. Yeah. So a lot of people got used to looking at mediocre fonts and thinking, oh, this is fine. And people that did not grow up looking at mediocre fonts, they grew up looking at very nice looking fonts and then had to look at mediocre fonts. You suddenly start to realize this one looks a little mediocre. It's harder to read. It's not as clear you can't fit as many letters uh, effectively in the space like there are all all sorts of trade-offs do you think that's a problem because you yourself is dyslexic so you have trouble seeing certain letters and comprehending certain letters because for me it doesn't really matter which is why i think i'm asking you this question because Mm -hmm. i don't understand why you would spend money to buy different font because to me a font is a font its purpose is to put text there so I could read. So I don't like I never have a problem with mm-hmm. a font. So do you think it has like for you personally? Is it because of your dyslexia that you can't read a certain font? So it has to be a certain way. Um, that is part of it. So I have used like certain fonts for coding in the past that uh-huh. are inscrutable to read for like normal people. Like it's uh, why do you have this wonky ass font? Like it's not it's not helpful to others. But since I am dyslexic, certain letters like uh, D, B, P, and Q, like they, they are identical. Like you can interchange them. I wouldn't even notice. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that is a problem when you're trying to like write things in an effective way and verify what you're writing is correct. Um, so uh, if I were to make a mistake and use the wrong letter, I wouldn't necessarily catch that right away. Like I would just read over it because dyslexia is a fun thing yeah well our brain fills in the missing part anyway yeah so i like i would use certain fonts for that um specifically to help my readability uh but if i'm just reading like normal text i i've gone to the point where i don't like need any help to Mm -hmm. just read normal text um it more or less like just depends on what makes it look easy to read so for instance uh fonts with serifs so these are the little notches that you find at the end of like the stroke for the D or the stroke for the P. Oh, the little tick mark. The, the little base tick marks, yeah. So those actually help your eye like identify the letter uh-huh. much more effectively than a sans serif font. So a sans serif font is one that doesn't have these tick marks. So on our screen in front of us, uh, for instance, uh, the L's have like those little tick marks right here, but the L's in your code. Um, is there any L? Yeah, there's one right here. It's the same L. 
Yeah, so that L actually does have the tick marks to help you like identify it as different from a right. one or an I. Right. But you can imagine all sorts of fonts that don't have those tick marks. And then the L's appear like super close next right. to each other or, as or a result. I guess like like you said, like there are letters where it's like the letter L when they don't have those extra markers. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a lowercase L and a capitalized I. When yeah. there's no markers, one is those thicker than the other, the but same. good luck being able to tell without yeah. a reference. Yeah. So, um, like, one word from French that, like, threw me off for years uh, was the word il, I-L-L. Uh-huh. If that is a capital I and a two lowercase L's, it's L-L-L-L. Is it L-I-L like, or is it L-I-I? Exactly. Yeah, so uh, that has always threw me off, like, as I was growing up. I'm thankfully gone over it now. But it's also, I guess it's also based on context, though. You mm-hmm. would probably figure it out if you see the entirety context that, That's of how what I work reading. now. Back then, that so then, context was not useful. Right. Because you're building the context after, like, knowing your letters. Uh-huh. So that's, that's where that kind of all fell apart for me, uh, being dyslexic. But, like, in general, having, having certain fonts for certain use cases is, like, the primary reason why you would... Purchase the font if you don't already have what you need. So if you're looking to like print a book, at that point, you might have a ton of fonts on your computer. None of them might be effective for printing, like an actual book. If mm-hmm. you look at a, a book that you have, it's probably printed using a font that you don't have. So if you want to, if you really like the way that the letters look on a certain book and you want that, you can't do it unless you buy that font. I see. And usually it costs like ten to $20,000 because they know you're going to print a ton of books with that font. You're only going to use it once. That's They put a ton of energy into making that one font, and there's not a whole lot of opportunities for people to go ahead and use it. So they cost a lot of money as a result. How often do people buy fonts nowadays? Generally, publishers will buy fonts. Okay. Um. Uh, also, uh, companies will buy fonts to represent their brands, like make them look unique. Uh-huh. Like the text that makes up their company name, for instance, might be in a certain font. All of their marketing might be in a certain font. But I, I feel like unless you are a font enthusiast, you wouldn't really yeah, a, a tell normal person, a font from another font. You could tell. Like you you wouldn't be able to necessarily identify, oh, this is this font or this is that font. Or, or that you could care less why yeah. it's this font versus another font, right? Yeah, I can I can definitely understand that opinion. Yeah. So it's it's not something that's for everyone, but there are legitimate uses for like having multiple fonts in the world. Um and there's always new ones that come out. Like there's a new version of Comic Sans that someone made that aimed to still keep the flavor of Comic Sans, like, hey, it's a fun handwritten font, but it corrects some of its biggest flaws, which are related to readability Mm. and the fact that it, like, makes your eyes and brain more exhausted to read that versus something else. So there are, like, all sorts of little things. Fonts for printing, they, if you, like, zoom into the letter, you'll see, like, these odd things, like, where two lines meet at an angle... It's not going to be a right angle right there. In fact, that's going to go inwards a little and then back out. And that's called an ink trap. So when you print the ink there, the ink is going to fill in that shape. Mm. So you never want to use that particular font like super blown up because then you're going to have an actual like yeah. weird dip. But when you use it at small sizes, it knows, hey, when we're printed on this kind of paper with this kind of ink, 
this is what's going to happen. Right. So and it, it takes all of yeah. that into account. So uh, they might be thinner than you think because when you put ink on it, it's going to it's gonna bleed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of energy that goes into like font design for the purpose that it's meant for. And that's why you would want a different font for different uses. Is there like a a font committee or whatever that you can like submit your font to or that who who decides like this font is acceptable and that this font did not like this font does not like it's not too close to a different font that is considered copying you know what i'm saying uh like who decides that there's no such committee that i know of it's basically like copyright work in general if you make a font a copy of someone else's and your font never sells no one's going to find out that it's a copy so it's not going to be an issue if your font all of a sudden becomes super popular and that other font artist is like hey you like literally copied my letter forms i can prove it like when we go into the data it looks like my shape like you put the point exactly where i put my point uh there's something fishy going on here uh, then that's a, a generally a copyright uh, sort of thing, and that would go through the regular copyright process, I would assume. But yeah, when you make a font, you just put it out in the world like everything else and hope hope that you get clients that are mm-hmm. interested in your font. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing about font designers is they tend to have really cool websites that like show off their font in all sorts of different ways, and it, it looks cool because they're playing around with the letters, um, so you can you can kind of get a good grasp on how and what it's intended to be used for from that. So, okay, so I, how much does it bother you it, when you see a font that doesn't belong? Like, for instance, like you said, people who are used to using Microsoft or, like, other PC-related products, there's a certain set of fonts that are on there. And if you're used to using, like, Mac or you have like hundreds of fonts, great fonts that are available, but that are different. Mm -hmm. So, do you often see a cross between them? Like someone using a font that is from the PC or the Microsoft world in like an iOS product, like does it bother you, or do you recognize enough font to see that hey, this font is not something that would actually show up in the list of font of like. Apple products. So there are like fonts that I just universally don't like. Yeah. So I recognize them immediately. One of those is Times New Roman double line height. Like it's <laughs> the, the most hideous thing. That's the standard that we have to it's use in, in high school. And yeah. Stuff, do you know why so. it's the standard? Because it's easy to Because read? the teacher's computer had that font. Oh. Uh, do you know why double line is a standard? Because the teacher needed to be able to write yeah, under they could your... Yeah, do okay. corrections. So why when you submit an essay... Like, not an essay, a written letter to someone. Do you use double height? Because you're not thinking. So they That's can, why. So they can also no, correct not, your grammar. No, they're not going to correct your grammar. <laughs> they're going to put it in the trash because it's hard to read. Um, in fact, like, I can't stress that. If you're, if, you're, if you're writing a letter to get into somewhere and someone is actually, like, looking at what you made mm-hmm. and they have a hundred more to look at, if yours looks pleasing, they're going to concentrate more on it. Like, it's a little thing that can give you a leg up in one situation or another. How do you know that, though? It's not like there's well, studies imagine, that are being done. Imagine reading 100 things, and 99 of them are in or Times New Roman same, with guess, double line. <laughs> and yours is a pleasant font that, like, is not wasting too much space, is easy on the eyes, is not, like, super scrunched up. Uh, like, 
you you can relax a little bit while you're reading that, correct? I guess, yeah. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so like, if anyone asks me to, like, oh, can you proofread something? And they send me over and it's in double space, Times New Roman, I immediately go and fix that and send them that fixed version back to them. <laughs> like, prevent the error from propagating. Um, because it bugs me that much. Because, again, there's no point to it being like that. Not to mention when you know a lot about fonts and they say, oh, you have to have a minimum of two pages, but not more than three pages. And you're a little under, a little over. You can, like, affect the the letter spacing between the <laughs> letters. Like, it's not going to be noticeable at all. Like, if they if the teacher puts the words next to each other, you're going to be like, these things look the same. Like, they didn't change the font size. Because you have so many other controls that you can tweak around to, like, make things work the way you want them to work. And change the margins. Um like, all sorts of useful techniques that you can go and play with this. So if you're still a student, like, submitting essays for, you can't see the reason for you're doing it, but you need to, like, meet certain requirements, play with the font controls. There's yeah, you a lot. Yeah, you can do Arial, which makes the font so much bigger than time, uh, Times New Roman, even though it's the same size. Yeah, but the teacher knows. They, they, they know, know that they trick. Know, they they know. don't know the kerning trick. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. If there's like an iOS app that uses a font other than San Francisco, which is the default system font that Apple actually uh-huh. made themselves, they made it in-house, uh, that's super noticeable. Like it jumps out at you immediately that, oh, this looks different. Even if you can't pinpoint what that it's the, the, font what is the font that uh-huh. is different, it looks different. Um, now, that said, an app can use that to their advantage. They might have a custom font that they go ahead and use the, just for their branding as long as it's not a poorly chosen custom font, then it can have a lot of impact. It means that, oh, you're out of the iOS world and you're into this app's world. Uh-huh. And that can that can be a great advantage uh, design-wise, especially if you build your look and your UI around that. Oftentimes fonts have different sizes, so UI will have to accommodate the font in a much different way. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot more work and it costs money because you have to pay for a font now. Because you're distributing it. So uh, that's that's something that you'll need to expect. But it can give you an advantage that not having a custom font wouldn't give you. Okay. Last question then. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite font to use? <laughs> uh, well, again, it depends on the context, right? Um, what Which font do you use the most? Uh, so if if I want a, sun, a sans serif font, so one without the little tick marks, I really like Avenir Next. Uh, this was introduced uh, to me in uh, as the original font that Apple used for their maps, and I thought it was like a very nice looking font there. Um, I really like Futura and Optima uh, because they have like funny letter forms. Um, and in terms of like serif fonts, I really like Minion Pro. Uh, it's a it's a very tight font, like you can fit a lot of information in with it, but it's very easy to read, um, and it looks it looks pleasant. I guess one last question. <laughs> I just came up with it. Have you ever developed a font? Yes. Uh, so uh, I I've made a font with my handwriting just for fun. Um, I've tried uh, making a font from like a pro- professional looking font from scratch, and realized it is hard. Like getting letters to look right when you're designing them in big and then looking at them in small is much harder than you think. There's a lot of effort that goes into fonts. And imagine like the fonts that we use are fonts that only have 26 letters to deal with. 
like double that and a bunch of accents and characters and numbers and all that. But generally speaking, if they were fonts for like an Asian typeface uh, or an Asian language like Japanese or Chinese or Korean, there's a whole lot more characters that you need to suddenly be able to account for. Like I'm talking about tens of thousands but a lot versus of, like a few hundred. But a lot of those characters are combinations of certain strokes though. So you can just create you think a, a font for that stroke and then kind of just put it together, no? You'd think, but like if you look at the characters closely, like uh, under a magnifying glass, you're yeah. going to notice that the same radical is ever so slightly bigger in one case, ever so slightly smaller in another case. It's all hand tweaked. Right. And it has to be, otherwise it's not going to look right. I guess. So someone put a lot of effort into making like that font, probably a team of individuals uh, to make it look right because there's a whole lot more work to do. Um, so uh, if you want to make your own font, I would I would pick a language that is nice to you uh, to get started with. And then if you really want to go for it, you can make your font available in every uh, every character that exists. But you're looking at like hundreds of thousands of characters at that point. So. But if it's successful, then it's quite a paycheck, no? Since people yeah. are willing to pay for it, and it's a hard thing to do, correct? Yeah, exactly. And especially for fonts that, like, breach language barriers. Because oftentimes when you're, like, if you have a book and there's more than one language in it, you have to have more than one font Yeah. for each individual language. Not only that, you have to have more than one font that fit together. You have to have a Japanese font, for instance that looks like it might work with the English font that you're using, right? Yeah. They have to fit together. If they're two wildly different fonts, it's not going to match. And I just realized, too, there, there's, like, bold and there's italicized. Yeah, guess like, what? I Each of those are handmade. Yeah. Like, the font that has light, extra light, medium, regular, yeah. demi-bold, bold, extra bold, black. Someone made seven different fonts. I don't know how many I listed out. Some different, seven different fonts. Uh, that all look like they're the same font, but they're all unique. Wow. They all have different like uh, trade-offs that work for thin letter types versus thick letter types. And as you change the size of the font, it actually changes the character little by little. So that way, when you make it uh, 144 point, like the the ink traps and stuff like that, they disappear and they go away in favor of having more rigid lines. I see. So then to be, I guess, to be considered a successful artist mm-hmm. or a designer or whatever you are is if you can tackle the font. If you can tackle a font, then <laughs> you've made it as a, as a graphic it. designer. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. It's like a very different discipline. Okay. Um, that you have to like train for. Like if you spend all your time training in fonts and making good fonts, you're not necessarily training in doing great graphic design. You probably are doing both because you're interested in design. Like, you wouldn't go into making a font if you're not interested in design to begin with. Yeah. Um, but, like, it's a different set of qualifications for each. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't say that they necessarily, like, if you have great aptitude at one, you immediately have great aptitude for the other. <laughs> that said, making fonts is probably the harder of the two. Yeah. Uh, making good fonts. Making a fonts, like anyone could do it. Yeah. But making a great font is is probably the harder. Okay. Thing. Oh, that's very informative, actually. Mm. A lot about fonts. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? I think I had something. <laughs> yeah, we'll save it for next time. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>